This is the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Gas it up. Howdy, guys and girls. Welcome back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Show Podcast. This is going to be like two in two weeks. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I'll try, as always, to keep it up, but we'll see when we get busy again. So as I mentioned on the last one, coming off a crazy cycle at work and went off on my annual hunting trip to West Virginia. Just driving back from that today. It's a Saturday after Turkey Day. So feeling very refreshed and relaxed and ready to get back to work again. A couple, couple days in the car, a couple days sitting in the woods by yourself. It's what I need to get the juices flowing again. Uh, no deers. That's kind of disappointing, but as some will understand and some won't. For me, personally anyway, that's not the reason I go hunting. Just hang out with the boys, and I've been hunting the same guys for 15 years, and just kind of get off the grid, and where we're at, there's no electricity, and there's no cell service, so just nice to chill out for a while. But uh, definitely a down year for deer this year. I didn't even see a single buck, which is uh, not super fun, but still an enjoyable week getting out in nature and seeing other stuff. I built, had a, well, I didn't build it, had a new rifle built for this year as I mentioned in the last podcast I've been handgun hunting forever but uh, getting old and tired of that so I've tried bu- tried a bunch of bolt guns and I just came to the conclusion I'm not a bolt gun guy I mean, I've got some good ones and I hate them so I decided to build a gas gun I had an old old DPMS um, like the bare bones version LR308 you know, bull barrel I think it was a 16 or 18 might even have been a 16 inch uh, no break. I just kind of many moons ago wanted a air quote urban urban sniper rifle set up, and I mean it was great for that. It was a great 300 yard gun. I had um, a Leopold Mark II on it, which is not a super high dollar scope, but it's a nice scope. And uh, I was looking at 308 gas guns, and obviously looking at JPs because they're badass. And, and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do something with this? thing that sits in the safe and I haven't touched it in three years so I found uh, an old ranger buddy of mine uh, Josh Pantel with Pantel Tactical on Facebook and so I sent it off to him and uh, it was cool to work with it you know work with a guy and, and good any good builders are are like that but you can just because I don't know I, mean, I don't know I was looking at the whatever that badass proof research that carbon fiber barrel and because I really wanted to lighten the I had to light well, I had to lighten the gun up a lot if I was gonna huck it around in the woods and uh, but they were they were real good to work with. They understood you know what I was looking for, and and also understood that I was going to shoot this thing, you know, hopefully three times a year, twice to check zero and once to kill a deer, and not going to be a not going to be a real shooter gun. And uh, so they got me some you know less expensive options than what I was thinking about. So it saved me some money and. Uh, we got a JP handguard. I don't even know what barrel they put in it, but it's a little pencil barrel. Uh, change, I mean, they changed everything except for the frame. I already had a JP trigger in it, so that was good. Uh, and it's still a nine-pound gun, but compared to the 12 pounds or whatever that it was, uh, lightened it up pretty nice. So shot great. I went zeroed it with a couple different types of ammo and uh, kind of a rush job after after all the matches. I only had a couple days to get out and goof around with it, but. 
Uh, it worked well. I shot it once up there at camp just to test and see if driving messed it up. Uh, I ended up putting the three-gun scope on there instead of that that uh, 12 power Louisville, the 4 to 12 uh, Louisville, which is a great scope. But uh, I was going to put a 45 degree red dot on it. And last year, I, uh, the weather was bad. And I was at one out and stalked one day just because it was rainy and you could walk quiet. And I was too miserable to go out there and sit. So I thought I'd walk along. And damn it, if I didn't walk up on a buck. And maybe 60 yards. And it didn't see me, so I turned the power down a little bit. Shot offhand. And uh, I felt like it was a pretty good shot. And mule kicked. I was like, yeah, I got you. Man, if he didn't take off like 170 miles an hour right towards me. And turns out, once I further investigated it, he was actually like 35, 40 yards away. But at the time, <laughs> I thought he was going to horn mass. But uh, I couldn't get a beat on him to get another shot. Now, the chances that you're going to get it shooting at a running deer at 40 yards are pretty slim to none. I'm not a, I'm not a big hunter, but I'm in the woods every year. And, um, that's the first, you know, something like that that's ever happened. Uh, you know, I've stalked up on him before and, and shot, but nothing like that. So, I mean, I know it's really unrealistic, but I thought, what the hell, I'll, I'll put a 45 red down on it. Maybe I could have got another shot on him and I've, I got it. I mean, I got him, but it was like two hour track job in the dark, which is less than ideal when you're ready for dinner and a beer and go warm up. Um, so thinking about that, I decided, well, I'll just put the I'll just put the razor on there and solves all my problems. So I put the vortex from my three one of my three gun rifles on it and zeroed that. You know, it's only six power, but where I hunt, it's in West Virginia woods and the and we call them mountains, but if you're from out west, you'd call them hills. Uh, you, you can't see more than 200. I mean, I've, I couldn't get a 200 yard shot if I wanted to. You know, most stuff is going to be 120, and there's going to be plenty at at 40 or 60. So. The power of the scope was fine. You got the red dot. You can zoom it down in a hurry if you want. And so that solved everything. So I was super happy with the setup. Unfortunately, I didn't get to try it out on, on an aminal, but maybe next year. That's why they call it hunting and not killing, I guess. Uh, so a while back, I'd put some questions on on the Facebook about podcast topics. And there were a lot of good topics that came out of that. So I've been kind of picking at them here and there. I thought I'd do some more on uh, on this trip. I'd cover, there was a lot of them on the Nationals because this was before the Nationals, but I covered all that in the um, in the last episode. So I'm just going to bang down the list of some that I felt like talking about, and we'll see uh, how long this thing runs. Uh, so the first one was AR versus PCC, uh, learning curve and, and differences and, and uh, stuff like that. So I've, I've heard some guys that are really good shooters say that they don't feel the PCC is replicable, uh, replicates the AR really at all in terms of training. Uh, I don't personally agree with that. As long as you're using it for the right thing, uh, you know, clearly you're not going to replicate your 300 yard to 500 yard stuff. Um, and then when I, you know, one of the reasons I got into PCC was I thought it would augment the three gun training. Uh, I honestly haven't used it in, in like the long range regard, which I think you could, you know, I think you could do, well, I know you can. You can do, you know, plate rack stuff and uh, steel stuff, work, work bar- Bianchi barricades and and barricade setups. Even if you just put it at 50 yards, uh, you're still getting the, the setup aspect. And that's what it's about with the long-range rifle. It's, you know, once you're, uh, once you're, once you've built your position and your setup in whatever you're using, whether it's a post or a barricade or prone or anything, it's not hard to shoot a rifle. Uh, the art and the speed and the good guys are, 
or make out that time in the setup. So you can think you can certainly use it in that regard, which I've neglected to do yet. And uh, but the biggest benefit I've noticed is moving around in a in a stage. Uh, so I haven't shot a lot of the big West Coast three gun, um, you know, Rocky Mountain or or any of those big natural terrain matches. South Carolina Three Gun Nation had a, had a few of them, quite a few of them, um, but that's really the only experience I've had with them. So most of my three gun stuff has been a lot of base style stuff. Uh, obviously, all the uh, Three Gun Nation stuff at Universal, and then the the national the USPSA Nationals in Vegas. Uh, so it's a lot of moving around a USPSA esque stage, you know, getting around corners, getting around walls, getting through ports. Um, obviously, with the 180 coming into play, uh, so in that that's, in that regard, that's the biggest benefit I've found coming from uh, PCC to AR, and uh, the techniques are the same. I mean, how you run around a corner uh, with a rifle is, is a rifle; it doesn't matter what caliber it is. And uh, just general shooting, you know, quick transitions. I think that benefits. And so I haven't really, in terms of learning curve, I don't know that I've seen much of a curve, man. I think they're uh, very, very close, if not identical. Uh, clearly, your recoil is different, but I mean, I'd argue the re, you know the recoil on your AR is less. Yeah, it's louder, but it's not moving around as much. Now, some of the PCCs now are getting are getting pretty solidly set up, so they ain't moving around either. Uh, but the big difference in in three gun versus USPSA PCC is the scoring. And so, three gun, you're you're more often than not time plus. So, two hits anywhere on target is good. And PCC, uh, you know, USPSA, you're shooting minor, so you got to have the A's. Uh, so I, I find I shoot the AR more aggressively uh, because my target's bigger. You know, I'm shooting at the whole target, where the PCC, I'm trying to shoot at the A zone and smaller target. You know, you're going to aim aim differently or, or shoot less aggressively or whatever whatever verbiage that you use. Um, so that was, the, it, I guess, in terms of learning curve, I guess maybe that would be a good learning curve because the first time I shot PCC, <laughs> I shot it like I was shooting an AR at a three-gun match and uh, quick reala- quickly realized the the uh, whole minor scoring thing is, you know, I just didn't think about it. If you're shooting production or carry optics or something, I'd always thought about it, but for some reason, uh, jumping on the PCC, I didn't. So that was a big learning curve, I guess. And then... You know, I won a couple tight tight matches this year, the Florida Open and Florida State both, uh, by not very much. I don't remember exactly, but you know, I'm talking tenths of a point uh, or or two points. And both times, the guys that I that I beat were way faster than me, way faster than me, because uh, they're coming from the three gun world. And I was able to make it up in you know little to no penalties and and good points. Uh, so that's not going to work forever because those guys are going to figure it out too. And they're going to maintain that speed and pick up a lot of accuracy. Uh, so I need to maintain my accuracy and pick up a lot of speed. But you know that's kind of my style is more more hitting stuff and, and getting good points because I've never been the fastest kid on the block uh, in terms of shooting. But I've always been pretty pretty low on penalties and, and pretty decent points, and that's that's kept me in the hunt. So I hope that uh, answers your question. Let me see what the next one here is while I'm trying to drive. A couple of these will be quick answers. Uh, one guy asked about if, is taking a break from shooting 
uh, beneficial or pros and cons. I've uh, never done it, so I don't know. And I don't know a lot of guys that do. Um, you know, Ben Stoker, I think, does because he lives in the Great White North. But in terms of really top shooters that uh, that don't shoot you around, there, there probably are some. There maybe are some. Uh, but I don't know. And, you know, living in Florida, I've, there is no breakdown here. Uh, I know, like, I don't run the, I don't run the, what we used to call the Triple Crown Circuit. I, mean, I don't shoot the Steel Challenge regularly. I've never shot Bianchi. But, you know, I don't know if you consider that a break or not, but, you know, a lot of those guys, and that used to be a bigger thing than it is now in terms of focusing on all of them. But a lot of those guys will switch, will switch platforms at a given time of year and start training up for X, whatever it might be, getting ready for Bianchi and then getting ready for Steel Challenge and then getting ready for USPSA Nationals and that type of stuff. So, you know, shooting a different platform, maybe that's considered taking a break. Uh, and I do, I do do that. Uh, I said do-do. Um, so at the end of our season, which there really ain't an end to it down here, but um, I'll generally go shoot something else. You know, and certainly coming off the world shoot training last year, I had uh, had my fill of the open gun for a while, so I sat it down. I started playing with PCC, and you know, shot that through uh, the thick of our season, which is the winter time, which we're just starting in now. But but last year, so Florida Open, Florida State, and all that stuff, Area Six. Um, so to me, I consider that taking a break. I'm not training as hard. I'm not focused as hard on a single gun. But uh, you know, in terms of, like taking the summer off from shooting period, or taking the winter off, or taking three months off, or something. Uh, I've never done that, so I, I wouldn't know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's beneficial. Uh, because I mentioned the truck cast, when gentlemen asked about Ford versus Chevy versus Ram versus Toyota, so as I'm driving my second 14 or maybe 15-hour trip in the last week in my Toyota, I'll go with Toyota on that one. Uh, a guy asked, this is a pretty good question, uh, the path of a new shooter, of a young, a young new shooter trying to uh, make a name for himself in the sport. Man, that's a tough one because uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't do the traditional route. Number one, I wasn't a young guy when I started. I was 26, I think, 25 when I, when I first started competing and uh, that wasn't serious. I didn't, it was just a hobby, you know, I was, I was still in the military at the time. It was just a weekend thing to get away from get away from work and do something different with normal people. Uh, it was just a fun thing. Never practiced, didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was shooting a, a single stack with 10 round magazines and limited because there was no single stack division. Um, so I didn't get I didn't get serious about it till probably 01 or 02 when I, after I moved to Florida. Um, so by that time, I'm 27, maybe 28, I think. I'd have to sit down and think about the years. But you know, there was no social media then. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was barely websites, uh, at least in the at least in the shooting world. So, number one, I don't know what you consider making a name for yourself. Um, you know, if you're going to try to make a living out of this sport, that's tough, man. It's there's very, very, very few guys that are doing it. Like like you could count them on two hands, kind of guys. And that depends on if you're talking, you know, nationwide or, or worldwide. There's obviously more. Uh, worldwide and then shooting you know I, I, I call myself a, a shooting professional as opposed to a professional shooter and if 
if you know the difference between a, a golf pro and a pro golfer, then then it's it's very very similar. So I, I'm not making my living off of shooting competitions, and that's that very few number I'm talking about. You know, people that just straight up shoot and that's it. Uh, there's not that many, and most of us do it through ancillary methods. You know, I teach, I run matches, I and and I compete. And the competing, you know, like like for my personal experience, if I wasn't a good shooter, I, I you know I never would have had a teaching career out of the deal. And it wasn't even my idea. You know, people were coming to me and saying, "Hey, can you teach me this? Can you teach me that?" And I was like, eh, "I suppose. I don't know." And they said, "Well, I'll give you money." And I was like, "Okay, well, let's do it." And that's really how it, how it all kind of started. It was just a side gig, and you know, eventually it developed into a decent little business, and it was at least paying for my shooting at the time. And that's the main reason that that I was doing it to make extra income so I could go shoot. I was just obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with shooting. And uh, that's all I did. And you know, come off the last question, talking about taking a break. You know, you know there was no break. I I dry fired every day and and shot three, four times a week. And living down in Florida, we had uh, you know Tuesday night matches, Friday night matches, every Saturday, every Sunday. You know, within a couple hour drive, you could shoot. And you know, that's all I did. So it's uh, it was funding it was funding my my hobby really or my passion, I guess you could say. And uh, I don't know what I don't know what point in my life I really considered. I guess 07, 08, 09, somewhere around there, I considered like making this my only job. And then just things kind of fell into place. You know, I was down south for a little bit at a at a gun store, and then the opportunity up here at Universal opened up, and that's been uh, I guess eight years ago now, or seven years ago, or something. Um, so I was fortunate that those things fell into place. But again, that's that's not a path anybody else is going to be able to really follow. It would be very rare for those coins to fall into place at the right time. Uh, you know, everything's about social media now, and I'm, I try to, I try to dick around with it, but <clears throat> I'm certainly not great at it. And uh, was I watching there? I was watching one of the college games this weekend, and uh, I didn't catch the beginning of it. I don't know what these kids did, but they were talking about the siblings of one of these college football players. And they said one of them had nine million Instagram followers, and one of them had one and a half million Instagram followers. And uh, so I don't know how you make money off that, or if you are. Um, but that you definitely have to have that presence nowadays, I think. And especially if you're going to go chasing sponsors, um, which I never took that route. You know, whatever few sponsors I had, again, they came to me. Um, so I'm not. I'm not good at going out there and promoting myself and uh, and begging for a free bottle of oil or, or whatever they're getting. And most aren't getting anything of substance. You know, they might get some stuff and a match fee or something here and there, which is awesome. That's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with chasing that route. It's just not my thing. Uh, so I never, I never really took that route. Uh, you know, I hit up, I started in the social media thing to promote business, to promote, you know, Universal Shooting Academy and then Shannon Smith Shooting and. The, even the podcast, are, you know, I'm not making any money off it. I do it because I enjoy it. It's, I wish I could get more out there, but like you've heard me say before, I, I like sitting around and talking about shooting. And I drive drive to work and back, and or sit around the house at night, and I'd be thinking about it. I'm like, well, why don't I just start saying it out loud into a microphone and just for the hell of it? Um, you know, even before all this technology, when I had my my first company, it was called Fast Academy. I had uh, what I called RFTs, random fast thoughts. 
So it was really just like this podcast. I'd just be thinking about something and I'd sit down on a Word document and write it up and, and email it to all my students. Um, and again, I'm not making any money off that. It's just customer service and and uh, I was thinking about it anyway. So, you know, why not do something that benefits uh, those guys and gals? Uh, so anyway, I'm getting down the rabbit hole of your question, but number one, you got to get gooder. So you got to shoot and, you know, get some, I would recommend getting instruction nowadays. Again, back when I was starting, they didn't, I'm sure instruction was available out there, but I didn't really know about it till I went to Universal and took a class with Frank. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. You know, you're not going to get it from YouTube. You're not going to get it all from the internet. You're not going to get it all from books. Um, you certainly get some there, but you know, I would go out and get some instruction and learn how to practice, figure out a routine and the r- routines are, are going to change. You know, you're going to, they're going to be fluid as you get better and, and realize other things you have to work on, but you got to put the time in, man, you got to shoot, uh, you got to dry fire, you got to work at it. And you got to, if it, you're, if you're talking competition kind of guy, then you got to compete. So you got to be out there shooting matches of, as I've told my, my students, you, you know, you, you can't buy experience. You got to earn it. So you can't, you can't pay for anything or you can't read in a book how to compete and, you know, working on stage breakdowns and mental games and stage management and match management. And, you know, you got to get out there and do that and learn it for yourself. And that just takes time and uh, money. It takes a whole lot of money. But uh, that, I'd, I guess hopefully that answers your question somewhat. You know, you got to put the time in, you got to get good, and then depend on which route you want to go. If you're going to try to to get it in the industry, you know, figure out a path in, whether it's marketing or sales or teaching or, or whatever. And then uh, if it's a sponsor route and the social media thing, you know, then you got to get on, get on that. I would, <laughs> I would uh, recommend staying in school and becoming a doctor, though. And then the last one I'll hit on, I was asking about calling shots and visual patience. Um, that's a pretty good tie-in because one of the other things I hit on my Facebook peeps, I think this is on my personal page, not the business page, but was uh, any good audiobooks or stuff for this trip I'm on. I'd, I drove up there and back, so like I said, that's about 14 hours or so, depending on traffic each way. And uh, one of the guys brought up uh, Enos's book, uh, Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals. And, you know, if you don't know that book, you kind of have to have it, I think. But it's pretty zenish and it's pretty in-depth, and I don't, I don't think it's going to do much for you until you've been shooting for a number of years. Uh, I know I read it a lot of times when I first started, and uh, or first got into it, I guess you should say. And I didn't catch it. You know, I didn't catch a lot of it, or, or even most of it, maybe. So I actually dug it out the other the other day, six months ago, and it's been sitting on my desk at work, and I've been meaning to reread it. Well, he brought the, he one of the guys brought that up, and I often thought like, man, this should be an audiobook, because as much as I drive around, and uh, he said it was an audiobook, which I never obviously even bothered to look for it. So I downloaded it and listened to it on the way up. Uh, almost finished it, and I listened to the last bit of it this morning on the way back, and. You know, that book was written, what, 30 years ago or something now? 25 years ago, I think. And uh, a lot of a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of a book has changed a little bit in terms of relevance, I think. And like some of the techniques he talks about, like I never did. That doesn't mean they don't work for him. Clearly they do. But uh, some of the, I think, flowing 
trends or whatever you want to call it have, have changed a little bit in terms of that. And then technology, certainly, you know, we're not running iron sided comp guns anymore. So a lot of the stuff about, you talk about mounting the sight on the comp and some shit like that, which is just not relevant now. But the biggest thing you can gain out of it, and if you haven't, I think I mentioned this before, but if you haven't, haven't listened to him on, uh, on Arik Levy's Firearms Nation, he was on the, I think he was on the summit. And I think he was on a podcast too. I forget which one I was listening to, but uh, I don't know what, I don't know if Brian or Eric just called him out of the blue and said, Hey, you want to do it? But because Brian's always been in a kind of uh, not really out there on social media, vocal kind of guy, but uh, it was good. It was good to, for me to list that. That's what sparked me wanting to, to re to reread the book uh, and the stuff he's good at. And I don't, I don't know the guy. I've never met him, but the stuff he's good at, in my opinion, and what helps me the most is the Zenish type stuff. So, and he uses, you know, different words for some things than I do, but, you know, re rehearing that book was made me thinking like, did I get these concepts from me learning it and figuring it out? Or did I get them because I read this book, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 15 years ago and forgot about it or some stuff like that. But uh, a lot about awareness, what he calls awareness. And, you know, visual patience would be a, a uh, similar term for that, I guess. And that comes into calling shots. And uh, my always standard joke with my students is, you know, everybody on the internet, calling shots is like sex. Everybody on the internet thinks they can do it and they all suck at it. You know, if, if everybody could call their shots all the time, they would ne you would never miss, ever. Like clearly you're not gonna leave a miss hanging out there. So if you've had a miss in the last three years, then obviously you're not calling every shot. And nobody does, I, I don't think. In my opinion, I certainly don't, but that's what we're striving for. And, you know, I was, well, back to the Nationals podcast, I was clean on the limited match and that five or four misses in the open match. So what kind of sense does that make? Um, but that's what we're striving for. But the way he describes it is uh, good. And it's, it's just about uh, being observant, you know, being aware pay attention, you know, like, like just see what's going on. Don't try that whole Yoda thing. You know, you're not trying to do anything. You're just watching and being observant and being aware. And if you don't, you know, if that doesn't make a lot of sense to you or you're thinking like, oh, that don't make any sense. How's that going to work? Then you may not be at a time that you're ready for, for his book. Cause that's, you know, that's the level that, that he's at and the level that I try to work at. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking about pulling the trigger. I'm not thinking about transitioning with a gun, you know, I'm just doing those things. And then I'm trying to see, you know, you, you can't call the shot before the shot breaks, you know, but before that, before that hammer hits the firing pin and the firing pin is the primer, uh, you can't call that shot yet. Uh, so it's about watching the sight or the dot or whatever, uh, at the moment the gun fires. And the big problem with folks is they're watching the site or the dot at the moment they decide to pull the trigger. And that's not the same moment in time. And that's where everybody has the problem. I mean, pulling the trigger, if you've, if you've shot this game for more than seven seconds, you know, you'll realize that pulling the trigger on a pistol is the most difficult thing in, in the shooting sports. You know, the ability to work that trigger and hold the gun on target until the gun fires. You know, not, again, it's not about when you decide to pull the trigger, it's about when the gun fires. And that's when the observance comes in, the paying attention and being aware and 
You know, if you if you ever have a miss and you didn't call it, then clearly you did not see your sight on the target when the gun fired. And this is not relevant to, you know, if you've trained with me, I talk about different levels of focus, and Brian does too, but he's got a whole lot more of them than I got. Um, but it's not relevant to which level of focus you have. Yes, it's more difficult, way more difficult to call your shots accurately if you're using a target focus, but it's not impossible. And, you know, if you're using a target focus, that that target is probably relatively close and relatively and or relatively big. But we've all seen yourself and good shooters miss uh, ridiculously close targets, uh, certainly myself included. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely more more difficult uh, if you're dealing with a target focus. But if you felt, you know, if that target was of the size and distance that you planned to use a sight, sight focus of some sort, uh, and you missed, and you didn't call that miss, well then, you know, it's very simple. You didn't see the sight on the target when the gun fired. And that's, you know, that's the only way you miss. Like I said, if you're calling every shot, uh, you would never, ever miss. You know, what I try to tell students that are much lower level than to be calling their shots when they're uh, maybe, let's say, struggling with a with a plate rack. Uh, my smart ass but correct answer is you always miss because your sight wasn't on the target when the gun fired. The question is why wasn't on the sight on the target when the gun fired? It was either it was either never there, so you transitioned to the wrong spot, or you know, let's say you're bouncing across the plate rack. What happens a lot is you start timing the gun and you start firing on rhythm and not firing on your 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 visual information, and you just get into that boom 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 coming across the rack rhythm, and the gun just doesn't come down where you wanted it to. But you're already programmed that you're pulling through that trigger, so that could be a reason. Um, you could have, you know, what I call getting soft on the recoil, and you kind of let let that wrist soften up, and you start to let the recoil happen before it happens. Uh, that happens to me from time to time. Um, so then, in that, in that case, you know, the sight was never there. Uh, if you think the sight was there, then you pulled the trigger incorrectly. So, and I'll ask the student, like again, even though they're not at that level, I'll still ask them, "Do you think the sight was on the target when you fired?" And if they say yes, then that tells me, which is most likely the case anyway, or more often the case, I should say, you know, that tells me they pulled the trigger incorrectly because they visually saw the sight there. The sight looked good. And they said, all right, this shit looks good. Let's roll. And they pulled the trigger. So that's a, that's a classic case of, you know, watching your sight on the target when you decide to pull the trigger, not when the gun fires. And that's where you'll get the proverbial, you know, I don't know how I missed my sight was right on the target. Yeah, well, it was until you pulled the trigger. Uh, if they don't recall seeing the sight on the target, then there could be a couple things. I mean, it could be, you know, improper sighting, like we were saying, it just fired on the bounce or fired on the timing or something. Or maybe they're just not at a level they can even comprehend that just yet. But that's a classic case of being aware. And the, the key is to try to watch what happens almost in a third person type of deal. And you can play like one of the things I, I do with students occasionally and with myself occasionally is I'll take a target that's shot up and I'll um, put a fresh target on the on the back of the sticks of that target. So you got whatever it is, a, a one inch gap or half inch gap or whatever between the two targets. And the one you're looking at is all shot to hell. 
and then use that in like a El Prez drill or something. You could even do it in a build drill or you could just do maybe two, maybe a draw and two from like 25. Um, build drill is getting kind of tough because there's a whole lot of shots to remember. But El Prez isn't bad. I wouldn't do that on all three targets for an El Prez, although you could. I usually just do it on one, like the middle one, and run the drill and try to call those shots. And, uh, you know, there's no BS in yourself because you can't see the holes. So and then you go down, you look at the back target, and you can see if you are correct or not. Uh, but you have to run it at, a, at an honest pace. You know, you can't, you can't really aim those two shots, you know, more, the, more so than you would do if that drill were a regular drill in a match. Uh, you have to shoot it at pace. Uh, if you shoot a distance, distance group, that'll help. I mean, hell, you can even do it at 50 yards. But you do it 25, 30, 35 yards, um, you can shoot that at a, at a, you know, a legit pace like you would shoot at 25 or 35 yards, which is going to be slower. And, you know, see if you can see if you can call them, see where that sight lifts from, where that dot lifts from, wherever your sight lifted from. That's where your bullet went, you know, period, paragraph, assuming your sights are aligned and assuming your gun's mechanically sound, you know, that's where the bullet went. The issue is we all get that little bit of a push, a little low, maybe a little low left, maybe a little left. And you just don't see that right at the end when the gun lifts, when the sight lifts. Uh, so that's, you know, a couple of drills you could try to work on it but to answer your question in in, in uh, two words would be just be aware you know try to be observant and see what's going on and pay attention pay attention to what your sights are doing they'll tell you everything so i hope that helps i think there's a couple more in that thread i'll hit on next time and then we have um holidays coming up so not a whole lot going on and then the busy season starts again so i'll be back in touch before then hope you guys have a good christmas if i don't talk to you till then see you on the range Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass.